We're continuing on in our series through the book of Galatians. And this morning we're going to look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Galatians 2, 11 16. Paul writing under the inspiration of the Spirit. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, as we come into your presence this morning, we want to pray as the early church did in Acts chapter 4 when they said, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of Your Holy Servant, Jesus. Father, we ask that You would give us boldness. And Father, I want to ask that You would respond to our prayer even as You responded to the prayer of the early church by shaking this place and by filling us anew with Your Spirit so that we can live bold Christian lives. And we pray this in Christ's name for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I brought a number of books with me this morning. Uh, I brought a couple by uh, John Piper, Counted Righteousness in Christ. Another one on the future of justification. Then some books by Sproul, uh, Faith Alone, Evangelical Doctrine of Justification. Uh, Here's another one by Sproul, Getting the Gospel Right. One of my professors at RTS, Guy Waters, uh, Justification and the New Perspective on Paul. And then there's a couple here by John MacArthur, The Gospel According to Jesus. And then another one, Ashamed of the Gospel, subtitled, When the Church Becomes Like the World. Now, what I want you to realize with all those books is that they're on the Gospel, they're on the importance of justification, that we are accepted by God, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And all those books are written for the church. They are written for Christians. John MacArthur mentioned, I never thought at the beginning of my ministry that I would spend so much time explaining and defending the Gospel in the church. Not outside the church. In the church. Now, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, uh, last week we noticed that Paul is being opposed by 
false brothers as he describes them in verse 4. And these false brothers were denying the true gospel. Uh, They were saying faith in Jesus is good, but it's not good enough. You also need to be circumcised and you need to obey the law of Moses. Now, in Jerusalem, as Paul is talking to the apostles there, he talks to the quote-unquote pillars. And the pillars in the early church were James, the Lord's half-brother, also Cephas, that's Peter, that's his other's name, and John, and he presents his gospel to them. He describes his ministry to them. And the pillars of the church, James, John, and Peter, give him the right hand of fellowship. And the right hand of fellowship is very symbolic. It means that they accept his gospel and they ask him to go to the Gentiles even as Peter goes to the Jews. In our passage this morning, Paul is back in Antioch and I don't think he ever expected that he would be confronting Peter of all people, about the Gospel and its implications. Uh, This is hard to believe, but Peter's behavior is actually causing a church split. His behavior is having such an impact in the church at Antioch that the Jews are on one side, as it were, and the Gentiles on the other side, and they're not coming together, joining one another in worship and fellowship. Now, Paul tells us what happens. This is what he said in verse 12. He said, Before certain men came from James, and these certain men refer to the Judaizers, as we've been calling them, uh, as the name indicates, uh, they were saying faith in Jesus is not good enough. You also basically need to become a Jew, which means obeying the whole law. Uh, Paul has very little tolerance for the Judaizers. Uh, we talked about this Wednesday at our Bible study. We also talked about it in Sunday school. In Philippians 3.2, Paul refers to these Judaizers as dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. Now, you have to remember, in the first century, uh, dogs weren't cute little puppies, you know, that climbed up on your lap and, you know, licked your face, you know. Uh, In the first century, dogs were scavengers. They roamed the streets. They were like big rats in the city of Chicago. That's what the dogs were. He says, these Judaizers, they're dogs. They're evildoers because they're undermining the Gospel. And what they're saying about circumcision, really what they're advocating is nothing less than mutilation. Very graphic term. Saying they're not doing anything good. They're just causing God's people to mutilate themselves. So he's making it very clear that he has really nothing but contempt for these Judaizers because of what they're doing to the Gospel. And Paul says, before these certain men came from James, And keep in mind, they didn't come with James' authority. They came from Jerusalem, but they did not have the authority of James. He wasn't approving of their message. He said before they came, he was eating with the Gentiles. And eating um, is in the imperfect tense. You wonder, what does that mean? That means this was ongoing um, activity. He was just on a regular basis. He would 
eat with the Gentiles. He would fellowship with them. And this means more than they were just having meals together. By eating together, that meant that they were brothers, that they were part of the same family. That meant that they were unified in the body of Christ. We all make up the body of Christ. Jews and Gentiles together. That's what was symbolized by eating together. And Paul says before these men came, uh, Peter had no problem eating with the Gentile believers because they were all part of the same family. But when they came, what did Peter do? He drew back and he separated himself from some of the believers fearing the circumcision party. And then he goes on and he says, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Now, that's not hard to imagine, right? Because Peter is one of the pillars in the church. So when Peter, by his behavior, says, you know what, we, we actually can't fellowship with those guys over there. They're not really believe. It says all the rest of the Jews went with Peter. They, they just followed him. He's the Pied Piper. They just followed him. So they also acted hypocritically along with him. And then Paul says, so that even Barnabas, was led astray by their hypocrisy. And I think when Paul says that, he says that would have broken. Even Barnabas, even Barnabas was led astray because of Peter's behavior. Who's Barnabas? Barnabas is the son of encouragement. Barnabas was a co-laborer along with Paul. We could even say that he was a co-pastor with Paul at the Antioch church. So it's, it's, it's like even one of the pastors of the church is joining Peter and saying, yeah, we can't fellowship with that half of the church. We can't fellowship with the Gentile half of the church. So that all the rest of the Jews, even Barnabas, joined with Peter so that the church was divided in half between Jews and Gentiles. So if somebody doesn't confront Peter's hypocrisy, the church will forever be split between Jews and Gentiles. And not only that, there will be mass confusion about the Gospel. People will ask, well, well, which is it? Is it by faith alone that, that we are saved and welcomed into God's family? Or is it by faith and circumcision and obeying all the laws laid out for us in the Old Testament, which, which, which is it? seems that some are saying faith, but it looks like Peter is advocating faith and, and works of the law. And people would be tremendously confused about the Gospel. Now, just to clarify, Peter isn't guilty of heresy. It's not as though he changed his mind. It's not as though he said, you know, I, I was wrong. It's not faith alone. It's faith and circumcision and the law. He's not guilty of heresy. What he is guilty of is hypocrisy, which can be just as destructive in the church. What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite literally means a play actor. Uh, Some of you know that right now, Michelle is directing High School Musical and and the kids are in the play. Zachy's going like this. That's why he's got a mohawk as part of his, his costume in the play. Uh, in case you don't know, Lydia Sharpay. And if you don't know who Sharpay is, Sharpay is one of the snotty girls in High School Musical. Uh, so Lydia uh, is a sweet girl playing a snotty girl, and I'm so glad it's not the reverse. <laughs> uh, Peter, 
He's a play actor. Uh, he really believes that the gospel is by faith alone, but he's playing a different role. He's playing the role of a Judaizer. And what he's saying through his behavior is that faith alone in Jesus isn't enough. The problem is, people aren't looking at his character on a stage saying, it's okay, it's okay, he's just playing a part. That's not really what he believes. People don't know that. They think that's who he is in real life. They think he actually believes what the Judaizers believe. And his hypocrisy, again, is having a tremendous impact in the church. Therefore, the Apostle Paul has no choice but to confront him. And that's what he says in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. That's strong language, isn't it? In our day, we would say, you know what? He stood condemned, so I got right in his face. Because he stood condemned. Because what he was doing was clearly wrong. So somebody had to say something. And since nobody else said anything, Paul had no choice but to take that upon himself. And Peter and Paul, believe it or not, go toe to toe. Now, we're not told here, uh, but Peter repented. And we know that because in Acts 15, we have what is known as the Jerusalem Council. It's the first official church council and they ask this question about whether or not the Gentiles have to be circumcised and they decide the matter once and for all and they say, no, it's only through faith in Christ because nobody could obey the law. And they finally clarified the issue and Peter was right there with them clarifying the issue. Now, what can we learn from this tragic episode? And there's a lot of things that we can learn. There's probably ten lessons at least that we could talk about. But I want to draw your attention just to four lessons that we can learn from this episode. The first lesson is the best of men are men at best. The best of men are men at best. And of course, we could say the same for the ladies. If Peter... The rock <laughs> can give in to fear and peer pressure so that he acts hypocritically. So can you and I. So as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.12, if anybody thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. You know, Martin Luther actually uh, took great comfort in this episode, he said, For it is a great comfort for us to hear that even such great saints sin, a comfort which those who say that saints cannot sin would take away from us. And Luther continued on and said, Samson, David, and many other celebrated men who were full of the Holy Spirit fell into huge sins. Job, and Jeremiah cursed the day of their birth. Elijah and Jonah grow tired of life and pray for death. Such errors and sins of the saints are set forth in order that those who are troubled and desperate may find comfort and that those who are proud may be afraid. No man has ever fallen so grievously that he could not have stood up again. On the other hand, no one 
has such a sure footing that he cannot fall. If Peter fell, I too may fall. If he stood up again, so can I. So if Peter fell, so can we. But if Peter can get back up again, so can we. And I love the proverb that says, though a righteous man falls seven times, yet he will get up again. So if you stumbled last week, if you fell last week, can I just say to you this morning, get up and continue on the path again. Second lesson. The Gospel unites people and destroys prejudice and racism. The Gospel unites all people and destroys prejudice and racism. Um, to understand maybe a little better why Peter so easily slipped back into his, his prejudice ways, his naturalistic ways, thinking that the Jews were better than Gentiles. Uh, keep in mind this prayer that perhaps uh, Peter and Paul prayed maybe every day on a regular basis. This was a common Jewish prayer that men prayed. And it went like this. Lord, I thank You that I am not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Very common prayer found in, in history. It's undebated. Lord, I thank You that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. You know, in light of that prayer, Acts 16 is rather fascinating. Um, we won't turn there, but in Acts 16, there are three conversions. There's the conversion of a woman named Lydia. And then there's the conversion of a slave girl who is demon-possessed. We don't know her name. And then there's the conversion of a Gentile jailer. We just know him as the Philippian jailer. But it's fascinating that God, God has the conversion of a woman, a slave, and a Gentile illustrating to the Jews that God is bringing in everybody. And it's not an accident that we read this in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The ground at the foot of the cross is level and we are all there equally and we are all a part of God's family equally. God is doing away with all those different classes, all that pride, all that racism He's destroying. Tim Keller makes a great comment. He says, it is extremely easy to stress our distinctions in order to demonstrate to ourselves and others that our church is superior or the best one. We're not the best. He says, without the Gospel, our hearts have to manufacture self-esteem by comparing our group with other groups. But the Gospel tells us we are all unclean without Christ and we are all clean with Christ. What a great reminder. Without Christ, we're all unclean. With Christ, we are all clean. So let's be careful about elevating ourselves and comparing ourselves with ourselves. Paul says in another place that those who do so are not wise. Christ is the standard. Third lesson that we learned from this is confrontation is to be about the Gospel. Confrontation is to be about 
the gospel. This is this is what I mean. When when Paul confronts Peter, he could have said, "You hypocrite! You hypocrite! I can't believe you're behaving like this." Or he could have said, "You're afraid of the circumcision? You wimp! You coward!" Or he could have said, "What are you doing in my ministry?" Do you, do you know how hard I've been ministering to these believers in Antioch? You're undermining my ministry. How could you do that? But Paul doesn't make it about himself and his ministry. He doesn't even make it about hypocrisy or fear. He makes it about the Gospel. It's really fascinating what he says here. In 14, he says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the Gospel. And then he talks to Cephas. It was not in step with the truth of the Gospel. It was not orthopedio. That's, that's the Greek word. Uh, was not in straight step with the Gospel. And have you seen an orthodontist? You just see an orthodontist? They straighten your teeth, right? Orthopedic. Surgery, right? Straighten your, your spine. Uh, Paul says they were not orthopedo. They were not walking straight with the Gospel. The problem here is the Gospel. And that's how we need to see sin. It relates to the Gospel. That's what is at issue. How does our behavior affect the Gospel? Paul's concerned about the God, which I think is wonderful. He, it's not primarily about his, his ministry or how Peter has failed. It's about the Gospel. And that's so important. And that will help us when we have to confront people. Maybe we won't confront over minor things because we'll realize that doesn't really affect the Gospel. But on the other hand, it will also give us boldness when people contradict the Gospel and we'll say, wait a second, I've I got to address that because that relates to the Gospel. So that little thing doesn't relate to the Gospel. It's not as important. That relates to the Gospel. And it gives us a sense of proportion. Paul didn't go toe-to-toe with believers every day, only when it was important. And here it's important. So confrontation is about the Gospel. And a fourth lesson, confrontation is with the Gospel. Confrontation is with the gospel, and I think this is this is very important here, because Paul really has to do two things. Uh, he has to restore the gospel and make it very clear to people, and he also has to restore Peter. That's that's important. Just recently, I was listening to a tape talking about disciplining children and. Uh, this pastor was mentioning something that I, I heard many years ago. And he said, when parents discipline children, you want to break their wills without breaking their spirits. So if you see them lying, <laughs> you want to address the lying. You want to address that part of their will so they won't lie again. But you don't want to dis- discipline them in such a way that you crush their spirits. So it's a reminder that we can... Under-discipline on the one hand, and we can over-discipline on the other. If you never say anything, then you don't break their spirit, but you also don't break their wills, and children just become more and more rebellious and, and out of control. So you don't want that. 
But on the other hand, if, if children do something is wrong and, and you discipline them with the hammer and you just clobber them and clobber them and, and clobber them, you might break their will, but you might break their spirit too. So they're just laying in a pile on the ground and they can't get up again. Because you've just crushed them. You've just blasted them. So you, you want to balance. You want to break the will, but you don't want to break their spirit. It's a delicate balance that I think all we parents understand. And it's so easy to go to one side or the other. So how is Paul going to help Peter? This is fascinating. You know how he's going to help Peter? He's going to remind Peter of the Gospel. And he does it in two ways. First of all, as we've already seen, he says you're out of step with the Gospel. You're not walking straight in line with the Gospel. Your behavior is contrary to the Gospel, Peter. And then what does Paul do? You know what Paul does? <laughs> and again, this, this probably seems hard to believe, but he reminds Peter of the Gospel. He reminds Peter. It's, it's like Paul saying, now Peter, let's, let's, let's go back to the beginning and let's remember why God loves you and why God accepts you because it seems that you have forgotten, Peter. So what, what does he say? He says, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? What he means here is if you're a Jew, you're living like a Gentile. In other words, you're not abiding by the food laws because Jesus has now declared all foods clean, so you don't have to worry about that. So if you're a Jew, but now under the new covenant, you're living like a Gentile, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? How can you force them to obey the law that you're not obeying? And he goes on and he says, For we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Great couple of verses where Paul is making it very clear. It's by faith, not by works of the law. It's not by works, it's faith. It's by faith, not by works of the law. Making it very clear to Peter what the Gospel is. And again, Peter knew what the Gospel, but his behavior was contrary to the Gospel. And by Paul disciplining Peter, if you will, with the Gospel, he is able to rebuke him for his behavior that is contrary to the Gospel, but he's also able to encourage him with the Gospel. I think Paul is like a great parent. And in this situation, he is parenting Peter like Peter is his son. And basically, I think Paul's thinking is something like this. What's going on with Peter? P Peter's not usually like this. This hypocritical behavior is so odd for Peter. What's going on? I, I know what the problem is. He's afraid. He's given in to peer pressure. These influential men have, have come from James and even Peter ha has been cowed and he's going along with them because he's afraid of what people will think. How, how can I rebuke Peter and yet help him overcome his hypocrisy and fear? The Gospel will do that. 
I'll remind Peter of what God has done for him and Christ. And when he remembers that, when he reflects upon that, he'll remember, wait a second, I've been forgiven in Christ. God loves me. God accepts me. I don't need the approval of these guys. Who cares what these guys think about me? That's what Paul is doing to Peter. He's saying, you're accepted in Christ. You don't need to please these guys. You don't need to be afraid of these guys. And because of that, Peter is able to repent and he's able to get back up and go forth in boldness. And basically, if I can read between the lines a little bit, Peter's saying, Paul, you are right. Oh, I can't believe I gave in to those guys. And now he's bold and confident and he can go forth in his preaching of the Gospel once again. Isn't that fascinating? It all needs to revolve around the Gospel. Important for us when we're encouraging people or we have to challenge people. Let's remember, it's not just about pointing out their faults, but let's, let's love them enough to say, now how can I help them continue on? We always have to do both when we have to confront people. Yes, there's an error, but let's think about I want them to continue on. I want them to move forward. Just like we parents want to do with our children. We don't want to leave our children in a pile. We want them to know they're forgiven. It's okay. Now let's get up and move forward. God forgives us. God restores us. Now let's continue on. The only thing that can do that is the Gospel. Which is a reminder that the Gospel is not just about our salvation. It's also about our sanctification. And I said this before, but in Galatians, it's all about the Gospel. But it's about the Gospel for Christians. Christians need the Gospel. Christians need to persevere in believing the Gospel and in walking straight in accordance with the truth of the Gospel without straying to the right or the left. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we thank You for this great Gospel which reminds us of how we were saved. It reminds us that we are all one in Christ Jesus. It reminds us that we need to orient our lives around this Gospel and continue in the truth of it. Father, we thank You that we have been saved. And we thank You that when we fall, when we stumble, we can get back up again because You forgive us again and again. Thank You that Your grace towards us was not a one-time event, but it's a daily event. Sometimes it's even an hourly event as we confess our sins and You forgive us and restore us. Thank You that we have all that in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.